Looking for another one. Has another one. Jokic backs into Thompson. Look at this cleared up in a moment as Jokic spins on Thompson, floats, misses, gets it back. Blocked by Thompson. Oh, oh Jeff Teague just shook and baked Landry Shamit. Sexton. Oh, and there is Thompson to clean up, but that's one of Thompson's specialties. Lee Smith finds a three. Got it! Oro is on Neesmith now, who launches a three. He got it! Money. Finds Pritchard. Four seconds, three seconds. Pritchard has to hoist. Oh! Peyton Pritchard is money! I just, my goodness! Welcome to week 28, count it. Week 28, Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is nobody. It's George Tully. Mark Loisel Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. As always, you can tune in using your Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and Spotify app. Also, when you get a chance, you can write a review. You can rank our podcast. Tell us how we're doing. Hopefully, it's great. As a reminder, you can also check us out on Twitter at SSR2019 underscore and also on Facebook at the Shark Sports Radio page. I appreciate all the feedback from the listeners as of late again, and as always, for you taking the dive into the tank tonight. So we have, of course, the NBA starting in about a week or so. Um, It is very exciting. It's always a good time. And I know NBA is not the most popular topic, you know, as of late, but it's mostly, most importantly, the most talkative topic as of late. Um... And as you could hear in the intro to our introduction to this podcast, I did include four guys that would be important to the Celtics as far as acquisitions to this offseason. And we'll get into it. We're going to talk about the Boston Celtics. We're going to talk about you know, NBA preview overall, how it looks, how the league looks. We'll also get into MVP, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, so on and so forth. So... Let's begin with the tip-off, okay? The tip-off is the Boston Celtics. We're going to be talking about them. I think it's make-or-break season for Brad Stevens. I think, you know, just overall, his presence as a coach, it's been well thought of um, for the regular season. And I guess even in the playoffs, you can kind of give him credit. You know, obviously, you know, having two young superstars as his, you know, core moving forward is very, very important. But it's also high expectations immediately. I mean, when you have a you know a catapult you know type of small forward swing swing man that can do it all, Jason Tatum, and then you have you know a very energetic, explosive Jalen Brown, it makes it easier to set those expectations for Brad Stevens to be high. And I, I'm going to set that bar. I think it is extremely important for him to at least make the NBA Finals and. It only gets worse. The competition is going to get feisty. You got the Philadelphia 76ers adding pieces. You got Brooklyn Nets back in the fold. Um, you know, you have a plethora of teams in the Eastern Conference like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat that are willing to make their name known. And that's that causes a problem if you are the Boston Celtics because you thought it was going to be a cakewalk, you know, throughout the the entire you know NBA playoffs, trying to make the Eastern Conference Finals, and you know you saw it in the bubble. A lot of guys just fell apart, and a big big reason too is because Miami beat you hands down in every facet of the game. 
And I think they went out and did what they were supposed to do. Try to go out and get a guy like you know Tristan Thompson that can grab rebounds and play awesome defense and be a presence in the paint because they've lacked that. And Bam Adebayo just ran all over that team. So it's no shock to me that that's what Danny H kind of targeted. He also targeted shooting. Three-point shooting was uh, really a downfall for the Celtics you know, over the course of you know, the last 25 to 30 games of the season. And I think they you know, shot roughly 32%. So it, it wasn't the best type of shooting performance that you know, the Boston Celtics are equipped to doing when, when, when they are you know, in, in, the, um, in the garden and you, know, you have fans. That's a big part of it. But also, you know, when you got a guy like Marcus Smart just chucking up threes and he only, he only makes a, a third of them, it's not a good look. So at least they have a guy like Neesmith, Aaron Neesmith, out of Vanderbilt who could really shoot the rock. And I, I think he shot right around 38 to 40% from the field, which is really well thought of, um, you know, coming out of a, 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 a great school like Vanderbilt and, you know, being able to score that much. I think he scored, you know, 22 to 20, 23 points per game. So he was a specimen in the NBA draft. And I think, you know, when you look at Danny Ainge and, you know, like I said, their needs, you know, they got a guy like Tristan Thompson late that could defend, rebound. You know, they got a, a decent backup point guard in Jeff Teague, who'll probably be the starter at the you know beginning of the season. But don't sleep on my boy Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard is a baller. You know, he was out of Oregon, and, you know, they picked him late in the draft. But they, he's exactly... What the Boston Celtics love is a guy that's, you know, basketball IQ is high. He's strong. He doesn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, back down from a fight. Uh, he can shoot the rock. He shot right around 40% from three. So, again, I, I think Danny Ainge really um, emphasized and made sure that he would get his hands on guys that can shoot the rock. So, it's no surprise to me that these guys come in. The, the issue that I have is... You know, they're going to have a short offseason, right? So they're getting right into it. You know, they don't have as many preseason games as they usually do. Um, you know, preseason game starts Tuesday against the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, you can probably imagine that some guys aren't going to be playing because of injuries and, you know, due to, the you know, some rest, um, you know, as uh, load management, I guess you could say. But load management is not really, like, the term, you know, in the preseason. I think it's just more rest. I think it's... Yeah, I'm too big for this game to, to be playing. Um, and I, I say that with all you know the respect, but um, you're seeing it around the league. I, guys are playing. Guys need to play. They need to get you know, their warm-ups in. They need to have some endurance and stamina for the season since it's you know, going to be a long season as well. So I honestly think the Boston Celtics, they're going to take like a minor step down. And the reason why I say that is Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward's presence on the court, scoring, yes, you know what you get out of him. And even defense-wise, he, he kind of lacks of, so it's, it's not like it's a weakness. His major strength gets overlooked. It's his ability to be a playmaker. He is a guy that can ball handle with the best. He can do pick and roll. He can you know figure out, develop his own shot on the fly, and the Celtics really don't have a guy like that that comes off the bench. And I'm sure Gordon Hayward's happy with Charlotte because he's in the starting lineup, one. And two, I think there's not as much pressure. Big markets, it comes with a huge stamp of fans' approval and ownership approval 
and the market approval. You don't think guys listen to the media, aka you know Kyrie Irving saying that the media are a bunch of pawns. Like that just shows to me that the lack of respect when it comes to the media. But when you're in a big market, you know, like Boston, there's expectations immediately. That that's just the way it comes, and you're in the the most winning franchise in NBA history, tied for you know, the most titles um, with the LA Lakers. So, you know, they're, they're going to be right within the top five, top five of the Eastern Conference. When it comes down to, like I said, the loss of Gordon Hayward, it, it's not about the scoring. Like I said, it's more about the playmaking. It's, you know, the fact that you can count on a guy that can ball handle because honestly, we know what Kemba Walker is. He's the guy that can do it one-on-one. He can figure out his own shot. But at the same time, you got, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're young guys, but they're within their prime. They're they're right there. And, you know, Jason Tatum getting his long contract for five years. And then you also have Jalen Brown getting his contract last offseason. The bar is set high for these guys going in. And I don't necessarily think they got worse, but I don't think they got better. So I, I need to see a little development from the rookies because it's going to be major. And I need to see a big leap from Robert Williams and Grant Williams and you know even Romeo Lankford when he gets back healthy. I think it's going to be prominent for the second-year guys to play a big role because when it matters, when it comes to the regular season, you know, they got to get their stints in. They got to make sure that they're, you know, doing it on a consistent basis night in and night out. And sometimes Brad Stevens can't get the most of those guys, but it showed in the bubble that there was um, a big development with Grant Williams. So I think Grant Williams is a guy that you should watch out for. And when Kemba Walker is out for a month or so, I think Peyton Pritchard is going to have a substantial um, statement when it comes to him you know, possibly being the starter over Jeff Teague. And the reason why you know they're not starting him right away is because, of course, he's got to get acclimated you know, with the NBA game, Jeff Teague's been in the league for, you know, a good amount of years, seven or eight years. So um, you got to at least start the, the veteran and have the rookie come off. But I'll tell you what, Peyton Pritchard, he's he's no slouch, man. You go look at his highlight tape at Oregon, you heard it in the introduction. This guy is a baller. He comes out. He's a gamer. I can see a lot. I know Rajon Rondo was, was talked about in comparisons because he's quick. You know, he's very decisive. He's got a really good head on his shoulders from a basketball standpoint. And he does everything that matters from, you know, a passing scheme. Like he can, you know, do all these fancy passes, make the, you know, defender come at him closely so he can drop it off to, you know, a small forward, power forward in the paint. Um, and if you looked at all of his highlight tapes, I mean, the guy just loves shooting threes too. And that that's not a bad thing. If you can shoot 40%, you're allowed to shoot 40%. Unlike Marcus Smart, who just chucks. Like, again, I hate saying that about Marcus Smart because he, again, is a gamer. And he loves to, you know, be that dog on defense. And he can really create for his own and come up with miraculous shots. But with Peyton Pritchard, you're kind of seeing the same characteristics. So it wouldn't shock for me to see possibly Peyton Pritchard to get his number called, um, you know, probably a week, week maybe two weeks into the season where he really starts gaining some steam and, you know, shows up in practice, which he's been doing at training camp. He's looked well thought of in training camp. And I, I think Danny Ainge did a well-done job in the draft. I think 
you know, a lot of people were asking, oh, like, why didn't you trade up? But when you trade up, you trade assets, right? So, you know, you're going to have to give up Jalen Brown. You're going to have to give up Marcus Smart. You're going to have to give up, you know, Robert Williams, possibly. So you kind of have to roll with the dice that you're given. And I think most certainly Peyton Pritchard is really the catalyst for me in this draft. He's, he's a really good gamer. I think Aaron Neesmith is the guy that's going to take a little while, but his three-point shooting is going to be substantial. I, I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, maybe his second year is when he really starts hitting and running. As far as him being a scorer, elite scorer, all-round scorer, you know, create your own. I, I don't see that until year two. I think he's going to be posted up in the in the corner for three, and that's not a bad thing. You know, when Jalen Brown goes to the rim, you know, he's a threat. When Jason Tatum's going to the rim, he's a threat. So it's always good to have guys around these playmakers and allow them to score at ease because there's so much attention to the guys going to the rim. Like again, it wouldn't shock me if you know Peyton Pritchard and Neesmith have a good years, but um, I do want to talk about, you know, the real competition ar- around this league. And, you know, it stinks that Golden State lost uh, Clay Thompson because I think they're good for a, a good bounce back year. And it just shows how important that guy is to that offense. I think Kelly Uber is a nice little fit. Brad Watermaker, that, that's okay too as well. But when it comes down to the meat and potatoes of who is going to be there when it matters in the end, Man, oh my goodness, going, flipping back to the Eastern Conference, you got the Brooklyn Nets. And let me tell you, I know it's preseason, I know it's preseason, and I hate to say this because I am a Kyrie hater because he just, he carries himself the wrong way. If Kyrie Irving didn't carry himself the way he does, he would be at least up there as like a top three, top five point guard in this league, being able to do everything um, from a scoring standpoint, playmaking standpoint, you know, defense is always a liability out there. That's like any small point guard. So it doesn't, you know, surprise me. But Kevin Durant, the resurgence of Kevin Durant is known. And Kevin Durant has the capability. You've seen it over the course of his career. He averages anywhere from 28 to 32 points per game. Let's look at Brooklyn as being a really big strength in the, the Eastern Conference. I look at Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo. You got to put him in, of course, with, you know, Chris Middleton and what they added in Drew Holiday and you know a bunch of other pieces but let, let's let's be real okay when it, when it's you know who won the offseason it's the Lakers i mean they won the the NBA finals right you know and they're coming off of a strong offseason you know they added Wes Matthews they added um Montrez Harrell Montrez Harrell is probably the biggest get for them that's something to say about the relationship that he had with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard too. And you kind of heard it too, um, you know, through the media outlets is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George really had the luxury of, you know, showing up to practice late. They had the luxury of doing really whatever they truly wanted without getting a, a, you know, a major discipline and no slap on the wrist. And, you know, (laughs) I was talking to GIF, you know, probably a week ago when Paul George uh, signed his contract, it might've been like, you know, close to less than a week. Um, but Paul George signed that deal. And of course, he, he gets the biggest offseason deal. Out of all the extensions, all the big contracts, Paul George, over the course of the playoffs, was not that good. You saw him forcing shots, saw him being passive, giving up the ball to Kawhi Leonard a ton. I don't know the stats of what he shot in the playoffs, 
But if I had to guess, they'd be in like the 36 to, to 40% mark um, from the field. And if you're going to be like a you know $200 million player, um, you know, $200 million plus player, I think that's that's substantial of, of an extension. And is it warranted? We'll find out. But yeah, I think the, the playoffs, he just didn't show up. And, but going back to Montrezl Harrell, sorry for sidetracking there, but Montrezl Harrell does everything that a big guy with the grit and attitude is supposed to do. The mentality to not back down from anybody. He is a talker. His presence on the court reminds me of Kevin Garnett. And Kevin Garnett used to talk it up. He used to rebound. He used to block shots. He used to let people know that he's in the paint. And I think that's why LeBron went straight to, you know, Montrose Harrell and said, join me. Don't join those soft guys anymore. Come join the LA Lakers. And I hate to say that because I'm not a Lakers fan. But when it comes down to toughness, it comes down to the little things, the miscellaneous things on the court that don't show up on the stat sheet. That's Montrez Harrell. That's the definition of that guy. And, and if he can continue his progression from you know uh, a veteran leadership standpoint, a guy that can talk, a guy that can show up, a guy that can grab you know ten to twelve rebounds per game and score twelve to fifteen points per game, he's he's right there. He might be on the you know the lesser end of the spectrum when it comes to scoring, but. I think Montrezl Harrell's a, a definitely good force for LeBron James to have. And I think um, one piece that maybe the Lakers lost out on is Rajah Rondo. I think Rajah Rondo is perfect for LeBron James. LeBron James can step back and, and not have to be a playmaker. Rajah Rondo can. So the Nuggets also, I think it goes unnoticed, but and I don't think it's going to be like a huge factor. But losing Jeremy Grant to the Detroit Pistons, if you're looking at it from a basketball standpoint, a guy that can come off the bench, you know, give you anywhere from 12 to 15 points per game and have the energy and just be that six-man, that six-man rotation, it's very important to have that. Obviously, that's something that the Celtics don't have. So I, I think the Denver Nuggets took a minor step back. I don't think it's a major one, but um, they're always going to be in, in the middle of it. Um, I think they're going to be right around the three or four seed. But if I were to give my projections and where teams sit in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference, the Eastern Conference for me, in order, I can't say that Brooklyn's not a top three. Like Brooklyn has to be a top three uh, player in the Eastern Conference. But in order, if I had to guess, I think Milwaukee takes a minor setback. I don't think it's major, but I think they take a minor one. Um, you know, they l- did lose George Hill, which I think was a big piece. You know, they got Drew Holiday, but they lost, like, you know, a decent amount of scoring. But when it comes down to it, 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 if you're looking at Milwaukee Bucks and their presence, explosiveness, their, you know, uh, wherewithal in, in a matter of trying to, you know, figure out offensive and defensive schemes. Give me Milwaukee in, in, you know, in first. Okay, give me Brooklyn in second. Give me Miami in third. This is where it gets tricky because I think Atlanta did one hell of a job in the offseason, you know, going out and getting a guy like Bogdan Bondanovich, and they got, you know, um, Rajon Rondo, and they got Gallinari, 
And, you know, they kind of just fit a lot of different pieces to the puzzle, which is really, really tough to do when you're dealing with a young team. And, you know, Trey Young made his presence known, and it just shows that guys want to play with Trey Young. You know, I think that's something that overlooked in this offseason. When you look at Atlanta Hawks, who wants to go to Atlanta? They got money, of course, and I get that. But I think it's a big factor having a, a young superstar a guy that can really lead your team in the right direction, and Trey Young. So and you got Cam Reddish, you got DeAndre Hunter, you got you know de- decent pieces around him, you know to to make a run at it. Clint Capella, Kongwu in the draft. So they're adding nice solid pieces to that you know franchise. But when it comes down to you know the Atlanta Hawks and their run for top five um, experience in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to give them the four spot. I think Atlanta is going to be a serious contender when it comes to being able to shoot the three, being able to play defense. They're going to be a great all-around team. When you have a guy that's new to the organization, it takes time to gel and mesh together. I think they're a good team, so I'm going to put them at four. Celtics will be number five. There's a lot of teams that catch fire in the regular season. They do. They go on runs. And they find a way to just keep increasing their winning percentage and gradually moving up the standings. When it comes to playoff time and you have the capability of really making a presence, not only from you know an experience standpoint, but being able to do all three you know different types of facets of the game. And the reason why I say all three is you got defense, offense, and coaching. I think. Coaching is one of the most important things in in the league. And that's why, but I do think at the same time, you lose a guy like Gordon Hayward, right? So the Celtics lost Gordon Hayward and his capability of bringing, let's just call it 16 to 20 points per game when he is healthy. I just think he needed to have a new change of scenery, obviously. But I think Gordon Hayward was a lot more, uh, meaningful to Brad Stevens because Brad Stevens found a way to get the best out of him in in the most significant role off the bench. And I don't think Gordon Hayward wanted to be the fourth guy because it, it made him you know take a step back slightly in his career because he still feels like he's in a prime. And if that's what he feels like, and then go get your money. I, I have no issue with that. Go get your money, get paid, do it. Um, so. Just the fact that the Celtics got nothing for him, you know, kind of shocked me because I think they could have gotten something for him, but they were holding back. But again, going back to the three facets of the game, okay, you got defense, offense, and coaching, okay? I think right now the Celtics are going to take a slight, slight step back when it comes to offense. And maybe the combination of, you know, Jeff Teague and Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker make up for the loss of Gordon Hayward. But you, you can expect great things out of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And a guy to watch out for defensively and offensively, and I think he said it best, he's going to take a major leap in this 2021 season, is Robert Williams. Robert Williams needs to start getting more credit where it's due. Because when you have a guy that can do pick and roll, pick and pop, that can play defense, that can rebound efficiently, I'm talking efficiently. There are guys that you, you can say, oh, yeah, they do this and do that. But when you look at it from a standpoint of, okay, what happens when 
you know, he hits adversity. Robert Williams steps up not only from a defensive standpoint, but you saw it late in the bubble too. He brought it offensively. And he was a big step in that Phillies series. You know, he had big time games. I don't think people remember it, but he was actually a guy that they went down to down the stretch. And even down the stretch in the bubble in the regular season. So um, it really doesn't surprise me that Robert Williams is a guy that wants it. He's young. He's a really good guy to add to the core of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But again, it's going to ultimately come down to you know the, the, the youngness of the Celtics. Then a, a team for me, and I think a lot of people are setting way too high expectations. I, I know they had a good offseason. I do. You know, they got Dwight Howard, and they added Seth Curry, and they, you know, they, Justin Anderson, they, they went out and, and did some of the right things. Um, but they also got rid of Josh Richardson and Al Horford. So I don't think Al Horford was really like the callus of that team. I think we all know who, who they are. It's Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Don't get it twisted. Doc Rivers can't coach young guys. He just can't. He, he's a guy that, you know, gets caught up in his emotions. And, you know, I, I think the respect, is it there? I don't know. I, I think we'll have to see what it looks like within a month with the Philadelphia 76ers. Because I have the Sixers at the 7th seed, okay? But they could easily make it up to the like 4th or 5th seed only because of their talent. You know, they have a lot of talent. And, you know, you, you just can't coach that. And I, I guess, you know, Doc Rivers, I look at it as saying Doc Rivers is great with veterans. He is. I know he had a fallout with the Clippers. It was a bad rep- representation of who he is. But... Let's call it the way it is. Doc Rivers won one title with the Boston Celtics. And don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Celtics fan. I support what Doc Rivers did, but I felt like they could have done more. And yes, they had extremely bad luck with injuries down the stretch with Kendrick Perkins injuring his back, you know, Rasheed Wallace, you know, getting offensive rebounds, um, you know, out rebounded, excuse me, and getting in foul trouble. It was back in 2010. Everybody knows. I don't have to, I don't have to talk about it. But when, when it comes down to who I think could have made a bigger presence, um, I think Doc Rivers could have. And we saw what Doc Rivers did in Orlando before coming to the Celtics. He made that team relevant in his last year with Orlando. And then you know Danny Ainsworth has an opportunity to pick him up. So, And, and kudos to Philadelphia for getting Daryl Morey. Dow Morey's a great guy that you want to put, you know, put in place. And you might see one or two young teams really try to make a push in the playoffs this year. And I think it's wide open. I do. I think, like I said, I think Brooklyn's really a threat. I think Milwaukee's a threat. I really enjoy watching Atlanta. I think Miami can be, um, you know, definitely a threat. Of course, you got to throw in the Boston Celtics. So that's the Eastern Conference for me. The Western Conference table for me and the standings for me is going to be top-heavy. I just think the, the Western Conference isn't as built as people think it is. Um, maybe on paper it looks good. A team that could easily make a huge jump, massive jump, is Portland. What Portland did in retrieving um, Ennis Cantor back, they got Derek Jones Jr. They got Robert Covington. You add them to that core 
that core of, you know, Dame, Lillard, um, you know, Nate McCollum, Nurkic, Gary Trent. Don't forget Gary Trent. That dude's a baller. I think Portland could really make a, their name known in the either, you know, the three or four seed. And first, I have, obviously, uh, the Lakers. I, I just can't until LeBron retires. Him and AD are one hell of a tandem. They might go down as the best one-two punch to ever play the game together. And I know they might not have as much years under their belt together, but it was fast. It was a fast start, and it's probably going to be a strong finish. And, of course, you have Shaq and Kobe and Dwayne and uh, Shaq. We can talk about this Pippen, Jordan, Stockton, Malone. You know, you, you can talk about it from top to bottom. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, Larry Bird and, and Kevin McHale. But the biggest high expectations going into the season is LA Lakers. One, LeBron doesn't have much time left. Let's just call a spade a spade, okay? He takes load management. He, he takes it seriously. And he signed um, that extension for I believe it's two or three more years on that deal. And the reason why he's there is because Bronny, his son, becomes eligible for the NBA around that time. I think it's 2023. If you're the Western Conference Finals, you're waiting for LeBron James to leave because LeBron James is not going anywhere until he's out of the league. And Anthony Davis is not going anywhere too. So when, when you look at you know the Western Conference, obviously the Lakers, Number two, LA Clippers. Number three, again, I think Portland takes a huge step in the right direction. I think the Houston Rockets, you know, they take a huge fall because of James Harden, man. I just feel like James Harden is running his own business. Like, he's like, oh, I can make decisions of where I want to go and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to come back, but you still got to trade me. And I get it. Be professional. Do that business. But... At the end of the day, the team decides where you have to go and whoever's going to offer the best package. So if you want to go to Brooklyn, you're not going to Brooklyn because Brooklyn doesn't have the best package to offer, one. And two, I don't think Brooklyn you know, really wants to cut out Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on that picture. And then you look at Philly, well, Philly could be a nice spot, but do you really think you know, Philly's going to want to give up Ben Simmons? Do you think Harden and Embiid are going to mesh together? I don't think they would. Joel Embiid's just big, and I hate to do this, but he's a stat stuffer, but he doesn't have, he doesn't show much. Like, there's not a lot of care in the world when they're down. You know, he's seen it before, and he, he always talks to talk, but majority of the time, performance-wise, he walks the walk. They can't conclude their games with a win. And success is huge in this league, as you know. You're going through a seven-game series, and if you're down, you know, three to two or three to one, there's always a matter of trying to get back into that series. But with Joel Embiid, I think it's more of a work ethic thing. I think it's more of the determination, the motivation to be the best that he can be. Now, again, he averages 28 to 32 points and probably grabs 12 to 15 rebounds per game. He'll probably do that this season too. What do you do in the matter of the game? How does that affect your game? How do you become, you know, a catalyst to NBA championship run? And I think you have to do it. I mean, looking from an AD standpoint, you know, Anthony Davis really does it all. And the reason why he does is because he's lengthy. He has the capability. He's so athletic. He's a lot thinner than other guys. So he's a lot more elusive, athletic. 
whereas Embiid really just sticks down, you know, down low, sits on the block, you know, hopes the ball comes to him, grabs rebounds, you know, and tries to play defense. He's not the best defender. He can block shots for sure, but when it comes down to, you know, posting up and, and making sure that the ball doesn't go into the rim, he gets lazy on defense and he gets out of shape. You saw it in the bubble, man. It was so bad to watch him. He was like huffing and puffing up and down the court. And that was a big reason why Philly got demolished by the Celtics. So the Rockets are going to take a major step down. I think they will. Uh, I like John Wall. He might be comeback player of the year. Watch out. Um, but I think, I think ultimately the Rockets take a huge step down. I think the Nuggets are at four. I think, honestly, the Phoenix Suns are a team that could be probably at the five or six. And the reason why I say that, I think they flip-flop with um, OKC. I, I think Oklahoma City has kind of the same makeup last year going into this year. And Monty Williams, I think, is a better coach than Billy Donovan. And I, I like Billy Donovan, don't get me wrong. You know, go PC Friars. But um, I think Chris Paul is really, he's the effect. Like, he's the effect on the team. He's a leadership guy. He makes that car go, right? He's the engine to that um, vehicle. But you look at the talent of Phoenix, you can make an argument that Phoenix may be more talented-wise than OKC. And a, a big piece to it, a big, big piece, is Devin Booker. Devin Booker can create on his own, and that's why it's great for Chris Paul to you know be there is because it takes the load off of him from you know, a ball-handling standpoint. And... The pressure, you know, down the down the road. That being said, if I were to give my MVP, MVP is tough for me because I think every year it's LeBron James. I I, th- I think it is, but Giannis is making his turn. Kawhi Leonard's making his turn. Jimmy Butler's having a year. Um, you know, th- this past off season, you go through uh, Jason Tatum into the mix. There's a lot of guys that stuff the stat sheet, as I said, um, but. Where I think a lot of guys fall short in is the su- success of winning. And so if I were to make a case you know, for you know, MVP this year, I think Dame Lillard will be. I-, I think Dame has the right pieces around him to be successful. And, and to make um, you know, a jump from eight to third and being probably the most prominent player on the, the Western Conference Finals, um, you know, Portland Trailblazers probably make possibly making a push late into the playoffs. I'm tired of you know giving it to LeBron. I don't think Kawhi Leonard you know has the mentality in LA. You know, maybe we do see it. Maybe Kevin Durant makes a run, but I think Dame Lillard, like I said, if you know Portland, like I said, uh, makes a run at the third seed, um, he's really having a huge impact on that team. MVP, it is what it is, right? It's most valuable player. So who is the most important on the team? And AD could also be in the running too. But again, I don't want to go on a tangent about MVP, but I'm going to have to give it to Dame Lillard. I think Dame Lillard's going to come play. He is one of my favorite guys to watch in the NBA too. I think he has more on his belt to be able to make that push. And if he does make that push, my goodness, watch them in the playoffs. And watch these guys, you know, just take leaps and bounds over everyone. So, um, I I honestly think that if if I were to give my projection, I mean, I really like. Uh, it's tough for me, man, because I I do like what Brooklyn has on paper. I do, 
but I know in the back of my head, anytime you have Kyrie Irving in the midst of superstars, it just sometimes doesn't work out off the court. On the court, he has the capability of being a top five player. And he also has another top five player in Kevin Durant when healthy. Kevin Durant, before he injured his Achilles, he was unbelievable. He, he was incredible with um, the Golden State Warriors, you know, averaging anywhere from, you know, 30 points per game to 32 points per game. Um, you know, so I think he's definitely, God, I, I want to pick him for MVP, but I don't think he's going to have as much of a bounce back year as people think. But I will say that Brooklyn or the Bucks go on the Eastern Conference side of things. I think Milwaukee takes a slight, slight hit from what they lost in this offseason. But I think, um, you know, looking overall with the Eastern Conference Finals, I think it's Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And then on the Western Conference side, I think, I want to say the Clippers come out with a vengeance and they got Tyg Lue. So I'm going to put, you know, the Clippers in. And I'm also going to roll with Portland. I am a huge fan of Portland in their game. And what they bring to the table night in and night out. And they have guys that want to win. So I think they did miss out on signing a guy like Jay Crowder. I think Jay Crowder would have fit perfectly into that system. And they have a lot of guys coming back healthy too. You know, Zach Collins is back. Uh, Nurkic. You know, they got a good amount of pieces around Dane Miller to make their, their run. And let's see what the Lakers do. Because the Lakers did add a lot of good pieces. Don't get me wrong. They did. But... It's just so hard to to make it back to that that time, right? And who knows? Like over the course of the season, you know, there'll be a lot of different load managements and stuff like that. So maybe guys will be healthy down the stretch. But I'm gonna have to go with uh, Clippers and Trailblazers um, in the Western Conference Finals. And I think it's it comes down to you know the the Nets and the Clippers. And I I think. I, I, I don't want to give my pick because I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the Brooklyn Nets. But how can you say no about that team on paper? They just look good, right? I'm going to leave out who I think will win that matchup because it's going to take time for me to decide. And, of course, since I had basically the entire season to decide that, I'm going to take that time. So, yeah, I, I think the coach of the year, I'll tell you what, Coach of the year would be Terry Scotts if if he makes it if he makes it to the third seed in the Western Conference. They are a team that could easily easily make a strong push, and the Trailblazers just could be number three seed, as I said. And Terry Scotts could get it. So I think Terry Scotts is um, you know Coach of the Year and Comeback Player of the Year. I'd say it's John Wall. Uh, Kevin Durant is always, you know, guys in conversation, obviously for MVP talk. And like I said, but um, I think it's going to take him some time to get into it. Whereas I think John Wall is going to be ready to go first day of the year. And he might lead the Rockets into the eighth seed, but I'm not giving them, you know, the nod yet. So give me John Wall. I think coach of the year is Terry Scott's and I'll leave it be with who I think wins the NBA final. So That's my NBA talk for the night. Tune in next week. We will get into all the talk around the sports world. Gif had to miss out this week, but I'm sure he'll be back. And we also have a new intro coming out 
We'll have that new intro probably late January, around my birthday time. So tune in next week again. You can always check us out all your applications, Apple, SoundCloud, and also Spotify apps. So tune in. Thank you for listening in. Go C's. Let's see what they're made of.